Okay, we are recording. It's 7.02 p.m. Monday, May 3rd. Please be advised that on Monday, May 3rd, 2021 at 7 p.m., there will be a committee of the whole meeting held via remote participation. Pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the open meeting law, chapter 30A, section 18, and the governor's March 15, 2020 order imposing strict limitations on the number of people that may gather in one place, this meeting of the Metro School Committee will be conducted via remote participation to the greatest extent possible. Specific information in the general guidelines for remote participation by members of the public and or parties with the right and or requirement to attend this meeting can be found on the City of Medford website, www.medfordma.org. For this meeting, members of the public who wish to listen or watch the meeting may do so by accessing the meeting link contained herein. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings in real time via technological means. In the event that we are unable to do so, despite best efforts, we will post on the City of Medford and Medford Community Media websites an audio or video recording, transcript, or other comprehensive record of proceedings as soon as possible after the meeting. The meeting can be viewed through Medford Community Media on Comcast Channel 22 and Verizon Channel 43 at 7 p.m. You can call in by using 1929-205-6099. Please enter meeting ID 9264083563 when prompted. Since the meeting will be held remotely, participants can log or, or call in by using the following link or call in number, which I just gave. Sorry, that's at the bottom for some reason. Additionally, questions or comments can be submitted during the meeting by emailing medfordsc at medford.k12.ma.us. Those submitting must include the following information, your first and last name, your Medford Street address, your question or comment. The agenda will be as follows. Discussion of the develop, development of the operating budget of the Medford Public Schools for fiscal year 22, July 1st, 2021 to June 30th, 2022, as it pertains specifically to the elementary schools of the Medford Public Schools and discussion of the development of operating budget of the Medford Public Schools for fiscal year 2022, as it pertains specifically to secondary schools of the Metro Public Schools, signed Dr. Maurice Edward Vincent, Superintendent of Schools. Where should we begin? We've got a nice packet that I think everybody got printed out. Um, Mayor, shall I do attendance? Roll call, sounds good, thank you. Uh, Member Graham? Here. Member Kratz? Here. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone? Yes, here. Member Rousseau? Nope. Oh. Here I thought I had everybody. Here. Uh, Member Vandekloot? Present. Mayor Longo Carm? Present seven, the affirmative zero in the negative. We could all rise to the flag. I pledge allegiance to, oh, to the flag of the United States, United States of America, America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Dr. Edward Vincent or Mr. Murphy, if you want to lead us off. I just want to say good evening to everyone. I'm really excited about um, beginning this new budget process this year. Um, as you all have received um, your wonderful 
uh, packets in terms of how the budget is organized this year in terms of clarity and um, really being able to understand where the district is, um, the direction that the district would like to be moving forward in. So I really wanna thank um, Mr. Murphy and the administrators, all the teams have been meeting, having their administrative meetings, but I just wanna say thank you um, to Mr. Murphy, Michelle Kingdon and the members of his team um, for really working um, tirelessly to get this um, to you at this point in time. Um, today, we're gonna be starting off with elementary schools and secondary schools. Um, as you know, um, the principals uh, worked together and worked collaboratively um, because as a school district, our first priority is educating students and prioritizing um, students. Everyone is important, but um, we felt that it was definitely important to start with um, our elementary and secondary schools to um, lay the foundation for our budget process. So again, um, I wanna uh, send a thanks in advance to Dave and the team for all the work that they've been putting into this uh, presentation that you're gonna see this evening. And um, the beginnings of identifying our priorities to continue to move Medford forward. And um, I believe that it will be a very comprehensive presentation. So thank you. I'm gonna pass the baton to Mr. Murphy and members of his team um, and the administrators uh, that will be presented this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Edward Vincent. Um, I, I'll just uh, echo what the superintendent said with regard to our gratitude uh, to uh, the school leaders who are on the call this evening uh, and the other members, particularly Michelle Kingdon, the comptroller of the district who um, uh, works on, on the, the finance and operations team. And um, I say works on, but uh, for those who know Michelle and knows the, the work that she does uh, previously for the city of Medford and now for the Medford Public Schools, she certainly does um, more than just work on our team. So um, to, to her and to uh, Janine Camuso, our director of human resources, and. Uh, always an important part of everything we do when we present. Um, there's no, you can't talk about the budget without talking about uh, the, the people that are in the budget. That's what the nature of school systems. Um, and that's both, that that's uh, challenging at times, um, but also uh, it helps to remind us, I think that the, while we're talking in terms of dollars and cents, um, we're also talking about uh, hundreds of, of people who are um, the servants of the people of Medford and work every day to uh, try to advance our mission and our, our singular mission of uh, creating uh, educational opportunities for students. So um, I'll, I'll just say that and uh, there'll be other opportunities to sort of talk about uh, what this budget means over the next several weeks as we put it together. But um, I, I wanna start with that because as a reminder that um, as we get sort of lost in, in spreadsheets and tables and things like that, um, all, all of the decisions that are before the school committee and the, the work that the administration is doing right now at the end of the day, um, the, the end result of that and the product is happening in classrooms across all of our schools. So um, our presentation tonight is focused on elementary and secondary schools. Um, the Medford Public Schools are, are comprised of many different departments and areas um, with different focal points, but um, the heart of the work and where the work really takes place are within our school communities. And so 
Um, we're joined by the principals of uh, all of our elementary and high schools, save for the Curtis Tufts High School, uh, which will be part of our presentation, along with the rest of People Services on Thursday. Um, uh, and also Dr. Cushing and uh, Ms. Galusi are the head of secondary and elementary education, respectively. Um, will be uh, taking us through some of the high-level strategic priorities that have been identified um, by our teams as we've convened over the last several months to talk about FY22. So uh, before um, starting with elementary and before turning it over to Suzanne, um, I want to, uh, I think the mayor and the superintendent have both referenced uh, the documents that have been provided to the school committee. Um, I'm going to uh, share my screen momentarily to um, just for uh, the benefit of members of the community who might be joining this conversation um, tonight, the, the school committee knows that we've been engaged in this conversation and preparing for the FY22 budget um, as early as February, as we started to identify the different variables and some of the question marks um, related both to our internal and external uh, funding sources. So as we pick up that on that conversation, and, and just to be clear, all the documents that were made available to the school committee uh, will also, be, of course, be available to the community. Uh, and will be published on our website so people can peruse them uh, as we go through the various uh, steps of the budget process. So um, on that note, and again, for the, just, uh, for the school committee's sake, these are the, this is the same content you've received just in a, uh, in a PowerPoint format for people that are, that are watching at home. Um, we've talked a lot about the, the different sequencing of the budget process. And so this is the flowchart that you saw at our last budget update. And this is a simplified version sharing uh, where we are now. So we are developing the superintendent's uh, recommendation leading to the budget hearings, which will ultimately ultimately go to the municipal government uh, to uh, function as district's budgetary request. I said in my memo to the school committee, and I want to reiterate the first of two major process questions um, that, and we talked a little bit about this at our meeting on April 26th, where um, folks have been asking, well, what is the budget number? The budget is really developed along two lanes and they're both very legitimate and very important lanes. In, but there are times I think when um, people that are participating are only familiar with, with one or the other and it can become confusing. So in one lane, the school administration is meeting every day, identifying priorities, identifying efficiencies and determining how we can make the most of the investment that the Medford community makes in its public school system. That turns into our recommendations to the school committee, who in turn take a vote and make that request of the municipal government. At the same time, the municipal government is responsible for the funding priorities across the city, both in the school system and elsewhere. And so ultimately they are going to make a determination as to what can be appropriated. And just in the last several hours, we've received more information about that and that um, we'll be in a, a position to speak to at our at our next budget meeting. That number very well might may be less than the number that the school committee ultimately requests. The school administration's job, as we sit at the nexus of those two lanes, is to identify not just the priorities and needs to inform the school committee as to what should be the basis of the request for funding, but also we are responsible for developing the contingencies necessary to operate the school district with whatever appropriation is ultimately made. That's not to say we don't advocate or we don't attempt to inform or try to make sure that the community has as much information as possible, but everyone should understand that we are responsible both for identifying the needs of the district and articulating them and operating the district 
based on the appropriation that becomes available. So that's one of two significant process issues that was addressed in the documents that went to you. But just for purpose of clarity, I wanted to reiterate that at the outset of tonight's conversation. You've seen this before. These are our funding sources, the federal, state, local, and obviously much more federal funding than normal this year. These are the priorities that staff members, as we were developing these goals and objectives going into the new fiscal year, talking about how do we repair, rebuild, and uh, remediate the issues and challenges caused by the e enormous disruption that our students have faced over the course of the last two school years. And we're looking at those primarily in three sort of umbrella uh, buckets, personnel and staffing, materials and infrastructure, and training and professional development. So those are themes that um, you we do have a miscellaneous category as well, but that's sort of like the leftovers category in, in Jeopardy. It's anything that doesn't quite um, fit into one of the previous uh, categories. So you should see those common threads as we articulate these priorities uh, this evening. This, we've seen, you've seen this before as well, just articulating that further. You've seen this as well. This is what we presented on April 26th. Again, it's important as you look at this to understand that when we say the district will require somewhere between 3.4 and $5.8 million over and above what our FY21 operating budget is, there are two significant variables. One is there are external, there are external funding sources which will ease this in some respect. We don't know to what extent that's, and we have to, in many cases, prepare for the worst, um, but that's one piece. And then uh, the second piece is understanding that the second obligation of the school administration that I spoke to earlier, which is that whatever that appropriation is, whatever appropriation is made, we are responsible for educating 4,000 students. And so we also, we have a responsibility to articulate what will put us in the best position to do that but regardless of what the appropriation is, we have to be open for business on July 1st, prepared for our summer programming and getting ready for the large influx of students who will come in the fall. Finally, this is the second process issue that I wanted to uh, just briefly touch upon before um, asking Suzanne to walk us through some of the high level priorities that will be um, featured in our elementary school uh, communities in FY22. And that is this variable around the ESSER funding. That's the federal funding coming in to help school districts mitigate the impact of the pandemic. And as I said in the memo, there are sort of two schools of thought uh, with regard to this ESSER funding. And I will say that the conversation that's taking place in Medford, uh, based on my conversation with counterparts across the Commonwealth, is a conversation that's taking place in virtually every city and town in every school district. And theory one on the ESSER funds is that there are deficits across every municipality and the ESSER funds must be incorporated into the operating budget to help the school system function. That's theory one. Theory two is that the school districts have taken a disproportionate hit with regard to our mission and our ability to function from the pandemic. And therefore the ESSER funds should essentially be walled off and kept to specific COVID related initiatives and not considered part of the operating budget. And part of that theory also is that to do otherwise would to create fiscal cliffs and structural deficits because we know the ESSER funding will eventually dry up and will not be with us in perpetuity. And the problem, as I stated in the, my communication to the school committee, with adopting one of those two positions wholesale is that ultimately they're somewhat untenable. With regard to the, the flaw in the first theory is that the ESSER funding, unlike the ARPA funding, is specifically specific in ARPA funding, meaning the American Rescue Plan Act, uh, which is funding that's going more broadly to cities and towns. The ESSER funding 
does contemplate the disproportionate impact on students and the disruption that has been felt by students from the pandemic. That is the rationale and the theory behind the, the ESSER funding. And so to just consider that part of the overall wave of education funding you know, does a disservice to that fact. However, the flaw with the second theory of building the wall around ESSER funding as if they could, it could not be used for anything that could be considered an operating expense is that ultimately, when you'll see as we talk about our priorities, operating expenses and expenses related to COVID ultimately collide. And there is inevitably overlap and integration between those two. And for that reason, to think of it completely segregated would also be misleading. And again, you'll see some of those cases here. And just with regard to structural deficits, which are absolutely something that we always have to keep in mind when we draw these distinctions between one-time and recurring funds, there are challenges we are facing right now. And you'll hear uh, from Suzanne and Peter about some of the specific ones at their respective levels that are absolutely attributable to the pandemic. And they, well may out, they may well outlive the timeline of the, the ESSER funding. But we, as, as the educational leaders in the community, feels that we have an obligation to address them as best as possible with the understanding that we are on the clock for determining how these will be sustainable. That may involve finding efficiencies within the school system. It may, uh, it, it may occur based on uh, revenues uh, ultimately returning uh, to some semblance of normalcy. And uh, it may be that they are in fact unsustainable. But if something's unsustainable three or four years from now, we are not in a position to condemn our current students to continue to live through those challenges, particularly after the disproportionate impact that they have absorbed over the course of the last two years. So my recommendation as the, as the financial advisor to the, to the school committee uh, is to uh, be mindful of the need for pragmatism, both with respect to how ESSER funding will help us advance some of our operational priorities and understanding that uh, some of these challenges are absolutely related to COVID, uh, excuse me, to the, to the educational disruption caused by COVID. And we have a responsibility to address them and we have a responsibility to address them with a great sense of urgency as those uh, who are joining us tonight who work in schools, help and run schools, and at sometimes, uh, in, especially this year, are in classrooms covering uh, uh, for various absences. Um, they know that uh, uh, better than anyone. So um, with that, we are gonna move to our elementary uh, program. And Ms. Galusi, our assistant superintendent for elementary education is gonna talk a little bit about some of the high level and district-wide uh, priorities and, and objectives in the FY22 budget. She is joined uh, this evening um, by our elementary uh, school leaders, all of whom are here, um, but for purposes of not wanting um, the, to keep the school committee up too late this evening, um, they have decided, uh, as have the secondary principals, to have um, one representative of the principals uh, speak on their behalf um, along with Ms. Kulisi. So uh, Suzanne, if you wanna take it from there and talk a little bit about our elementary level FY22 priorities. Yes, perfect. That was a wonderful segue, Mr. Murphy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Suzanne. <laughs> um, before I start uh, talking about the elementary school principals, I'm just going to introduce the elementary representative um, that will be speaking on behalf of the principals, and that is Mr. Kirk Johnson. If he could just unmute for a minute just to address um, the school committee. Once that happens, I will move on to the elementary school priorities.
<clears throat> thanks for school to say good evening, everyone. Good evening, Mayor, good evening, school committee, and Dr. Rod Vincent. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to introduce the elementary portion of the FY22 budget. Um, there are a number of phases that led us to tonight's meeting. The first phase of the process involved the fall elementary principals meeting to, together to discuss the needs of our buildings. Through our discussion, the priorities of our schools are very similar. Majority of the discussion revolved around the impact that COVID-19 has placed on our students. The second phase of the process involved a meeting with Ms. Galusi to review the highlights of our meeting and to discuss what we gauge as our priorities. The next phase of the process was to complete a budget survey for Mr. Murphy that pertained directly to our individual schools. The final phase of the process was a meeting with Mr. Murphy to fine tune any areas of the budget and to allow a time for Q&A. As the elementary representative, I wanna thank all of you for your countless hours and the many efforts you provide in supporting the students of the Medford Public Schools. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. So a result of that collaborative process um, are the key priorities that we have displayed here. So I'm just going to explain each one of them. And if there are any questions, just please let me know. So the first key priority at the elementary level is grade level paraprofessionals um, to ensure more inclusive programming. That is just to ensure the needs of students and to support them next year, no matter the setting. So these are grade level paraprofessionals that could be supporting students in special education, but also supporting students in um, general education. We know that students are going to have needs that are academic as well as social emotional and having some additional support next year will be very instrumental. Uh, the next piece is the reading intervention specialist. So we're, what we know will be needed next year is a little bit more support in, in terms of intervention. Um, having additional reading interventionists especially to target those foundational years that were interrupted two years in a row. So what would be next year's second grade and third grade will be really key in making sure that we are giving the interventions and the supports to students that um, are having a little bit more difficulty closing that gap. Building-based professional development, that's something um, that I'm really excited to see part of the budget this year. Um, as you know, it's something that's important for principals to be able to have some professional development funding um, in every year, but especially coming out of COVID. This will allow principals to be able to use some funding um, that will specifically target some training and professional development within their school buildings. Um, which will be a little bit more drilled down and focused than district-wide uh, professional development. Um, increased adjustment counselor services. So in my work with Stacey Shulman and in speaking with her, this is something that she's also looking to do, which she'll probably report to you on later on in the week. Um, what she is doing right now is she's reevaluating the support levels at each and every school um, and going to make sure that they are streamlined for support. Um, instituting additional specialist programming responsive to COVID-19. So as you're aware, um, Italian is no more. And at the elementary level, we will be needing a fifth special. This year, we were able to... It's just to be clear, the, the, the elementary class Italian previously offered in Medford is no more. The Thank Itali you, the, 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 the Italian language still exists, at least. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. No problem. No problem. <laughs> Thank you. People pick up the conversation halfway through. That could be, you know, 
You are correct. So this year, it was not a factor in terms of scheduling for students um, within buildings because of the remote academy. And we were able to staff remote academy specialists. um, And that way, students were able to get what they need. um, And the schedule in the buildings were able to proceed. Next year, in response to everything that is happening. I am also working with Stacy Shulman as well as some principals, and we are going to be working on a fifth special um, that will target specifically the COVID related needs of students. That means um, we are looking to make sure that we are supporting students' social emotional needs, health needs, and e- executive functioning needs. One of the things this year that I've tried to really make a priority is getting to the schools and speaking with students and speaking with staff. Um, I also surveyed staff in regards to the fifth special and where they feel the needs are. Um, And it was kind of overwhelming the supports that the educators um, feel that would benefit students next year is giving them a little bit more time focused specifically on learning and academics so that the, the SEL needs are continuing throughout the entire day. Um, also with a little focus on executive functioning skills that may have been lost this year. Uh, finally, the Zayner Blouser program, which I know was presented to the school committee prior to COVID and was part of our initial budget needs before COVID hit in March. Um, that's circling back again, as you are aware, if not just a little refresher, um, Jan Hollenbeck worked with the principals and assistant principals for the past year or two, trying to get the Zana Blouser program here, which would be a focus of printing in K-1 with a refresher in grade two and a cursive writing program for grades three and four. And that covers the elementary priorities. Um, If you have any questions. Yeah, so I think, Mayor, my recommendation would be that we move to secondary and then we take the questions sort of as a group and and, navi- and navigate through. I, I just wanted to uh, just put a few, uh, a couple of punctuation points on the elementary stuff. Um, you can see through this list of priorities and as they were spelled out in your packets on a school by school basis, that not every school is situated in an identical place. And our priorities uh, essentially are meant to address that. There are some pieces like the development of a specials class to be responsive to the impact that the disruption has had or uh, the, the, the I recognized need that was um, very much a common thread in our conversations with principals about the need for uh, more intensive reading intervention at the elementary level coming out of this, these two years of disruption. Those are pieces that really do uh, have to occur on a district-wide basis. But then there are other pieces where staffing levels are different. For instance, you'll see that um, it is our hope to recruit and retain uh, paraprofessional support at two of the four elementary schools. That's because as we pick up this uh, budget story in FY22, um, some of our schools have uh, more robust staffing in certain areas than others. And so both for purposes of um, making sure that we are overseeing an equitable environment in terms of our staffing structures, and also, as, as Suzanne said, uh, to make sure that each of our school communities are positioned to have as many students as possible in the least restrictive environments to which that they are entitled. These are some of the strategic decisions that we have to make. But, and in a theme that will be reoccurring throughout this evening's discussion, there are additional strategic decisions that have to be made when some of these variables are ironed out. 
the sort of easy example of that would be, we may identify something that is an operational priority. And so we don't intend to use ESSER funding to support that. But if our operational funding is not sufficient to support those initiatives, and if there is in fact a nexus that um, means that we're not restricted from using that funding, then we may have to reconsider that. And that is um, part of the complexity of this and why that we need a certain level of, um, I would say cognitive flexibility when it comes to um, I, figuring out how we are gonna structure this and how are we are going to advance these very interconnected uh, and in some respects interdependent um, priorities and initiatives that are coming up in FY22. So as we move to secondary, um, and uh, Dr. Cushing, I, I know, is, is um, warming up in the on-deck circle right now and ready to, to take some hacks to talk about our secondary priorities. Uh, and we'll see if Mr. Tucci can hit the timer as with the precision that Mr. Johnson did um, in, with regard to speaking on behalf of the secondary principles. Um, I will say that one of the things, and this was addressed in the, in the communication to you, is that um, it is, I think, impossible to look at the Medford Public Schools budget and not identify, not, not uh, recognize the degree to which we are a heavily departmentalized uh, school district, particularly for, our, for uh, the size of this district. We have a lot of departments and we have a lot of money uh, that would ordinarily be budgeted within um, school budgets that are living in other uh, departmental areas. And that is particularly true at the secondary level. Um, and so Dr. Cushing is gonna walk us through some of the secondary um, priorities uh, along with uh, Mr. Tucci, but um, there may be initiatives that you are familiar with from previous budget cycles or that have been discussed uh, in, in the, with the school committee and your various subcommittees that may not be explicitly addressed um, in some of what we're talking about tonight, um, but they will be addressed in our upcoming uh, budget meetings as we get into some of those um, departmental budgets. That's certainly not a suggestion that you shouldn't ask about that. I would ask that you would, and you would pose those questions when we get to that point. Um, but just understand that if, there's, if, there's some, if there are things that have been uh, common themes that you know are major priorities for the district, but are not explicitly discussed here, don't assume that we just uh, forgot about it. So um, with that, Dr. Cushing, do you wanna uh, take us through the secondary world? Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. Good evening, Madam Mayor and members of the school committee. Uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak on behalf of secondary education today. I'd also like to take a quick moment on the eve of uh, Teacher Appreciation Day and Teacher Appreciation Week uh, to really give a shout out and kudos to all of the Medford educators and the educators brought across Massachusetts who have really done yeoman's work over the past year um, to, to double up iPads and computers and whatever else necessary to get our kids learning. Um, and so I'd really like to thank them for that. Um, I think Dr. Cushing, on that note, I believe it's also Principal Appreciation Day. So ah. for those of us who have uh, principals in our lives who want, hopefully we all remember that and have expressed that and communicated the important role that school leaders play. But I apologize for interrupting. And I, I uh, That's quite all right. And uh, I would actually like to throw it to one of our stellar uh, secondary uh, principals, Great, uh, Mr. Tucci, at this time. Mr. Tucci, would you be uh, so kind as to take it away as Mr. Johnson did? Thank you very much, Dr. Cushing, and good evening, Madam Mayor and Medford School Committee. On behalf of the principals at the secondary level, the Medford Public Schools would like to collectively thank you for your support of our students and schools throughout the course of this school year. We're all certainly looking forward to a strong finish to the school year while planning for the next in our budget narratives, you'll find our high-level strategic priorities in the area of personnel, instructional materials and supplies, and professional development. 
develop these budgetary proposals in a collaborative fashion with the primary objective to rebuild, repair, and reaffirm our public education mission at the global pandemic. We'd like to express our gratitude to the Medford School Committee for your leadership, support, and advocacy of our students and schools. If you have any questions for any of us after Dr. Cushing's presentation, please do not hesitate to ask. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Tucci. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, the school committee and the public uh, watching. So we have, uh, COVID has really created this, this sense of have and have not. You know, We've had this uh, influx where we've been able to do a lot to be able to support students, but there were certain things that were eliminated in last year's budget that are really fundamentally critical, especially at our middle schools, as we consider students returning uh, to full-time education next year, that are mission critical uh, when it comes to reading and math. And so while we were able to restore our reading uh, specialists at the elementary level, we were unable to do so at the middle school level. And so looking at our res restoration of reading and math interventionists and specialists at the middle school is a fundamentally critical priority for us. As we consider the secondary level at high school, one of the critical things is um, two shop areas specifically. Uh, first, electrical. Electrical is one of our most popular Chapter 74 programs. Um, chapter 4 programs are those career technical education programs that are critical for our students uh, looking for post-secondary work or for that um, CTE experience prior to going on to college. The electrical program is uh, well subscribed and would benefit from having an additional electrical instructor and space within the high school has already been identified and is currently being worked on um, to alleviate the current uh, strains and stresses of that program. Uh, another program, CCL, Construction and Craft Laborers, uh, is one of only two of these Chapter 74 programs in the entire Commonwealth. This positions Medford students to be uh, highly marketable in this field when they leave Medford High School. Uh, we have a very strong association with the, with the trade association slash labor union in the state, and they are very invested in Medford students and hiring them once they have graduated from Medford uh, High School. Why is this important? Well, this position will actually offer our staff who are currently here, so starts branching out into other areas of CCL um, that I'll leave to Mr. Fallon to describe later, but um, it would be a tremendous opportunity for our, um, for our students to be able to have these additional course offerings that would be available to them through this edition. Uh, there was a social studies position that was cut last year um, at the high school. And so what this does is it limits the amount of electives that we can offer. For those of you who don't know, as I've mentioned before, the mass core really locks up what students are able to do to a certain degree. And when they reach junior and senior year is when they start to have a little bit of flexibility in their schedule, which is where they want to start taking these exciting courses that are their electives. And social studies offers them some of these courses. Um, so this position would allow us to start putting those courses back into place. Uh, one of our budget cuts was uh, an ETL, an educational testing liaison uh, at the Andrews Middle School. So the restoration of that position is fundamentally critical to support our students with special needs uh, as, as we move forward from the pandemic. 
All right. Um, another area that is really critical for us as we consider secondary education, and Ms. Galusi sp spoke to this in elementary, but want to make sure that you fully understand uh, giving principals um, fiscal resources to be able to support professional development within their buildings um, and to be able to lead their staff uh, with appropriate resources and appropriate supports to be able to make decisions in line with this district priorities uh, around building-based professional development. It is really critical as a principal to be able to have these opportunities and to build staff capacity uh, as we move out of the throes of this pandemic. Um, let me just look at my notes here real quick. And so the other big thing is, um, well, moving forward, we'll be presenting curriculum initiatives and various assessments um, to be able to help support our students as we come out of the pandemic. Uh, those we'll be discussing in future weeks uh, with the committee uh, larger. And then the other critical piece is that we're doing sufficient work um, to support the social emotional needs and health services capacity of our students. So that as we come out of the pandemic, uh, the toll, the trauma that has been inflicted on our students uh, and to a certain degree, our teachers as well, that we have the supports in place to be able to support our students fully, uh, both in the classroom and outside of the classroom. Uh, and so at this time, those are the primary uh, high level priorities uh, that we've identified at the secondary level but these are critical needs as we move forward into FY22. Uh, thank you, Peter. And so I'm just gonna put one, I'm gonna advance one slide so folks uh, can see an excerpt from, I'm gonna try to advance one slide. Um, so uh, hopefully that says the Brooks because I can't really see it with my, how my windows are, but um, this is an excerpt from the packet that you've received previously. And this just goes to the point that we've been making that um, we are identifying both what we see as the most critical priorities that can have the most profound impact on student outcomes and also attempting to bucket some of the pieces that we know have the strongest nexus between uh, the impact of the pandemic and what it is uh, that we're trying to do as an organization. And so by identifying those, we are in the process of essentially building our ESSER two and ESSER three budgets. Um, understanding the these are one-time funds, and we have to always keep that in mind. Um, and also that the funding right now it's it's a healthy amount of money, seven point six million dollars between ESSER two and ESSER three combined. But that's to extend over a very long period of time, at least in, from a, a budget cycle perspective. And so um, making sure that those are sustainable and are being prioritized accordingly is part of the strategy work um, that, that we are involved in right now. So hopefully um, through uh, Dr. Cushing and Ms. Galusi's um, uh, presentations there, the uh, committee and members of the community can see some of the common threads that are helping to inform the development of the FY22 budget. Um, as I said before, that we are a heavily departmentalized organization. And so some of the funding priorities that you're seeing here um, are very much related to and hopefully congruent with some of the priorities you'll hear as our department leaders present over the course uh, of the next uh, two weeks. And our responsibility is to sew together 
these different uh, priorities in a cohesive and coherent manner so that the FY22 budget advances those strategic goals of eliminating or reducing the learning and opportunity gaps that have been caused or exacerbated by the pandemic. So that's, that's the common thread, that's the narrative, that's what our objective is, uh, and be happy to uh, field your, your questions and, and take your input um, as we continue this deliberative process of uh, putting together a recommended budget that um, you could then uh, approve and, and turn into the Medford Public Schools budgetary request. Member Vanderclute. Thank you. I had a question regarding the paraprofessionals. I wasn't quite sure whether it was whether the request was paraprofessionals at every grade level for every school, i.e., you know, twenty-something yeah. paraprofessionals, or could you clarify, please? It's a, it's a great question, and I would say to some degree, it's intentionally vague because as you probably could guess, there's a budgetary impact as to um, you know, how many ultimately is, is requested. And so I don't think anyone thinks that there's anything feasible about um, funding an additional paraprofessional for every grade level at every elementary school or every school for that matter. Um, would that be a good investment? Yes, but it's not something that, um, while we have an obligation to identify priorities, we, all, we do have an, an obligation also to um, be, be pragmatic. And so you'll see that the bullets in the, in the budget narratives that you've received are specific to two of the four elementary schools. And that is reflective of the fact that there are existing grade level paraprofessional positions at the two in which it is not listed. And so progress, which is what this is really a, a about, um, we're not going to get the, to the promised land in this particular budget cycle or any other budget cycle, frankly, but progress uh, would be represented in investing in um, grade level paraprofessional or paraprofessionals at the two elementary schools that currently do not have um, as many on staff. And for the community's benefit, I would just say that our paraprofessionals who, if you work in a school, if you've ever stepped foot in a school, if you went to school, you know that um, in many respects, they really are the lifeblood of the school. They're individuals who are in, in many cases serving students of the, the highest need and some of the most vulnerability. Um, they uh, cultivate invaluable relationships uh, with students and, and they really make the school function in, in many ways as, as many of our other staff members do. Um, but they are also frequently assigned to substantially separate special education programming. And what, what happens in when our entire paraprofessional staff is concentrated in those substantially separate environments, then there are instances in which it makes it more likely that a student may not be able to be in a general education classroom if that additional adult supervision and support might be what would be the thing that would open up the door to that less restrictive environment. And so that's why that's part of the pieces that is being prioritized here to make sure that we're structuring ourselves consistent with our obligations to students and families and also making sure that we're giving um, flexibility to school communities um, where where is where it's it's necessary and it currently does maybe maybe doesn't exist as much as we'd like it to. I have more questions, but I think we should rotate. Member McLaughlin. Thank you. Um, I just want to uh, actually expound on the last question as well. Um, I'm wondering um, about first of all, I just want to sort of ensure that the community knows that 
least restrictive environment starts in a general education classroom and is only um, changed when the nature or the severity of the disability is such that the student is not able to be educated in general education. So that's the free and appropriate public education in the least restrictive environment. So we should be starting there, obviously, first. Um, so I think that begs the bigger question of how many substantially separate classrooms we have and what that is, you know, for equity in our system as a whole. But that's another conversation that we'll have, I'm sure, over the course of the budget overall. So, and I know that the departments themselves will be speaking, I mean, the, uh, yeah, we'll be having this continued conversation. So we're going into the, you know, bits and pieces of the schools themselves. But I would also ask um, of the schools that we're talking about for additional paraprofessionals, which I've seen the bulleted list, and I think you mean in the individual budgets, is that right, the bulleted list? Because I'm looking at the cover sheet and, and it's not the bulleted list that you mean, you mean within the individual budgets, correct, for each of the elementary schools? Yes. Mr. Murphy, yeah. So I would also ask, you know, what the special education programming um, looks like at those schools. And again, you know, just for to sort of ask folks to start off on the appropriate mindset, if you will, is that, you know, there are no special education students, as our special education director, Kathy Medaglia, would always say, who I really appreciated for saying that every student is a general education student. Some students receive special education services. Same with English language, right? Every student is a general education student. Some students receive English language, receive English language services. So um, just that we can put it in that light would be super helpful. And, you know, as we're thinking about these additional paraprofessionals across these schools, I would like to know if there's an equitable, equitable distribution currently, and it doesn't have to be for tonight. We can have this for the next meeting. Um, in terms of the departmental, um, but when these schools, are there equitable special education programming in the schools? So that would be something that I would want to, you know, know as well if we could. Yeah, I, I just in really briefly in response, I think um, as Ms. McLaughlin uh, mentioned, this will be a, a large focus of the um, budget presentation that we make this coming Thursday, May 6th, where uh, the pupil services budget will be presented and we will be talking about how the programs are currently aligned um, within each school. And, and the point that Ms. McLaughlin uh, makes is a really, really important one that um, making sure that there is an equitable uh, distribution of programs is necessary if we're going to, if those programs are going to run and run well and serve the interests um, of, of students. And so to the point about every student is a general education student, um, I would say that this particular uh, piece of the proposal that we're talking about right now with regard to the need to eventually yeah. invest in paraprofessionals mm -hmm. is evidence of our recognition of that. Yes, I if, think you were, if you were to ask me, do I think we're um, organized right now in the most equitable manner? Uh, frankly, I would say no, I, 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 don't, I don't know that we are, mm -hmm. which is part of why we have to start looking at this and looking at these staffing models some of the information we've tried to provide for you. Um, and I think this is just, I'll just make this point really quick. As we go through the budget process, the budget process is one of our um, most significant organizing processes of the school of the year, right? It's when we look at ourselves as an, as an organization and ask these types of questions are, are we being equitable in the way that students have both a right to, and I think mm -hmm. families have a right to expect. Um, and are we, organized in a way that is actually advancing the mission and, and, and being true to the types of values that Ms. McLaughlin was just um, speaking to. So when we do this process, there's a lot of sort of trying to kill multiple birds with, with um, <laughs> as many stones as we have. Uh, and I wouldn't say one stone. 
Um, so one of the things that we're taking a look at is you'll see in each of the budget narratives, we've articulated what the staffing allocation is. And I know that I've, I've had questions for, from some members um, and some administrators who have said, what does it mean when we say we've budgeted 32 positions at a school, but there's 95 positions serving in that school? But what that means is we have a heavily departmentalized and siloed budget in which it just looking at a school budget, you are not going to really be able to tell exactly what's happening in that school. And just to be clear, budget, budget documents are not necessarily designed to tell, you know, to sell every single bit of information about a school. So let's, we should be realistic about what information we can convey in a spreadsheet, okay? But I will say that given the level of departmentalization of this budget, those types of questions, are we organizing our special ed services in an equitable way that serves the interests of all students? Um, are, do our staffing models, are they consistent with our obligations to students with regard to the environments in which they're learning? I would say at a minimum, there's no, there's not as much evidence of that in our current uh, budget structure. And I would say there are reasonable inferences that could be drawn that there are improvements we have to make in that regard. Thank you. Thank you. Member Rousseau, then Member Graham. Thank you, Mayor. Um, are we assuming for this entire budget that um, elementary students will be coming back, all of them in the fall, since there probably won't be a vaccine for them yet? I think we are assuming that we will be fully in person as a district with the exception of um, essentially uh, exemptions from, for medical reasons. That is the guidance we have more or less received from DESE that absent a medical exemption, the expectation will be that we will run school as we as we would in the in the before times. And um, are we planning to continue pool testing until vaccine is generally available to all students in grade levels? We are def we're definitely planning to continue testing. I expect it will be pool testing. Um, we have had some conversations in recent weeks um, about some potential. Um, the technologies around testing are evolving, and so exactly what testing will look like by September, I don't know right now, but I don't, I think testing is um, unavoidable, inevitable, a certainty, at least for the beginning of the school year. I think there's a chance as the school goes on, um, we will have to sort of measure that and determine, you know, what is it exactly we're testing. And hopefully by, you know, at some point that I'm not gonna speculate about, but I hope it'll be in the 21, 22 school year, we'll start to ask the questions about how we move to a system in which we test when, when there's a, when it's necessary, as opposed to our general surveillance testing of you know, just by coming in the building, you're, you're having your nose swabbed. Thank you. And I'll ask one more question before um, letting others ask questions. Um, in our June of 2020 uh, budget, we created a document that was sourced from the department heads um, you know, that document identified over 25 FTEs just at the elementary level, um, at, you know, nine tier two interventionists, uh, literacy leaders, math leaders, um, lots and lots of staff at the elementary level. Um, and I know we restored, we have some people restored. I, I guess my question is, can we take that list which is only a few pages long and um, sort of create another column, indicate what 
of that has actually been included in this budget or restored through other methods between then and now so we can have a differential um, and then perhaps have a conversation around why did we say we needed nine tier two interventionists at the elementary schools and we're adding one per school or none. Um, and uh, I, I think that would be a useful conversation. So thank you. I, I agree, Mr. So I'm happy to put that together and circulate that to the committee. Um, it's certainly that document was informative in terms of sort of spelling out the universe of needs that had been identified during that budget process. Um, I will say that when we provide that, that documentation to you in the coming days, um, one of the things you'll see as you, as you suggested, a number of those positions were addressed or in some very few circumstances are in the process of being addressed. And so um, you'll see some of that list has been whittled down, not, you know, to, I don't want to suggest to an enormous extent, but certainly some positions have come off the list and gone back onto uh, the staff roster where they belong. I will say the other thing is that I do think the question that we posed to our staff members in the course of this budget process was more narrowly tailored than as I've reviewed some of the language that was circulated in FY21. Uh, or in the in preparation for FY21. At least in some cases, what was communicated to department heads, not necessarily by the school committee, but what was communicated was to develop the list if there were no financial boundaries. And we have not posed that question um, in part because one, there are always uh, financial boundaries. And also because we felt like um, we wanted to get a sense as to what people felt were the most pressing and most urgent. Now, at the same time, I, th I think the principals and department heads would attest to the fact that um, th there was strong encouragement to be ambitious with the idea being that without knowing what the restrictions or in, when this really started, even the, the total number of ESSER funding, in some cases more so than ever, there was the opportunity to sort of uh, dream big. And so I don't think we did anything to sort of curtail those ambitions, but I do think that the questions were, were slightly more narrowly tailored to fit the objectives of the FY22 budget, which again uh, is to eliminate or reduce learning and opportunity gaps caused or exacerbated by the pandemic. Thank you. I, I, I don't have another question. I just want to point out uh, ambitious is what I hear parents want us to do. Not, so, um, you know, I, I, I think that's actually a good thing. Um, asking people, you know, how can we make something 0.1% better? Um, I mean, I, I don't think any of us on school committee ran so we can make things 0.1% better. Um, and I don't think people who, the voters are interested in that kind of level of incremental improvement. Um, so ambitious to me is, is absolutely, should be a, a pretty major goal. Thank you. Thank you, Member Graham, then Member Kratz. Um, I, my, I think my first question is, are we going to talk about high school tonight? Because I thought we were going through the whole presentation before we fielded questions. We, we did, uh, that was included in the secondary. So the reference to the chapter 74 positions, uh, the, elect the electrical position, the cr uh, construction craft laborers, the humanities position oh. for um, 12th grade. I think we can expand upon that. Um, although I will say, as I mentioned, um, I think the departmentalization of the budget affects uh, secondary and especially high school more so than the other levels and the other, other schools. 
So some of the initiatives I think that you would expect to be hearing, you'll probably hear um, more at the departmental level, but um, certainly if there are any specific questions, I know Mr. DeLabor, Mr. Fallon, and Dr. Cushing and myself are happy to, uh, to weigh in. Okay. Um, I, I think that the main question I had about elementary, I mean, I, I think there's plenty of questions to be asked, but when we talk about this restoration of this special, um, I understand in concept what you described as the need, but I do not practically understand like, what does that mean from a staffing perspective? Like, I don't see a staffing ask associated with supporting this special or like, I, I can't picture in my mind what it looks like. So I was curious, like, is there a budget implication to what is being recommended? Um, I'll speak to the budget implication uh, first and maybe Ms. Galusi, you could speak more to the instructional um, component and, and why this is uh, critical at this time. Uh, particularly, um, we there is there's a, there's a few different elements to this. Um, one is we want to uh, into. I'm, I'm sorry. I almost I almost just dived into the instructional piece that I just said I wouldn't try to answer. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll, stick, I'll stick to the budgetary piece. It's going to be about three FTEs. Um, that's that's our estimation in order to be able to fund the positions across um, all four schools and have uh, a, st a staff member um, positioned to be able to logistically schedule this. Um, there are some contractual compliance issues related to this, although that's um, what's driving it. Um, and again, we do see a nexus here with regard to COVID. So in terms of the just sort of basic question of a budgetary impact, you're looking at 180 dollars to $190,000. Uh, Suzanne, do you want to... Um... And is that represented in this packet somewhere? It is, yes. Can you... I will say, and, these, and it brings up another point. So all of this, you know, there's no line item that doesn't have personnel implications. And as you can see, we are not coming before you today and saying that we have to prepare for a, a substantial reduction in force. In my conversations with uh, union leaders in the, and over the recent weeks, I've um, said that this is sort of where we are right now, but that you know we're not in a position now or really ever to make representations that, to say that there would never be any type of um, you know adjustments in that sense. But when we look at where there are um, how we're going to, what we can do in sort of the existing budget and what is going to require our um, using other levers to, to free up funding. We typically are able to get to a place where, where we, are, we are able to say, um, this is the potential add-on if we move in this direction, adding up everything else for the time being. So right now that would be about a, a, a net gain of three FTEs if we were to have um, a, a fifth special incorporated into the elementary schedule. So it probably says something like sufficient staffing for the equivalent of or something like that. I'm not sure it says um, explicitly a 3.0 FTE, um, but that's that that is what that would amount to. Okay, um, and I think you know my other question in general is, this is informative, but it's not a budget. Like it's not yet a document that says here's what we're asking for, or is it? I, that was this was oh. like not. This is just a really different format, and I'm I'm fine with the format. I'm just trying to understand like, is everything on this list going to appear in a budget document on May 19th that we're going to be asked to 
Well, I mean, send one, up. we're going we're gonna to take into account feedback from the school committee with regard to what ultimately is incorporated into a recommendation. But I go back to sort of the two lanes in which that we have a budget developed. One is we are looking at what the facts on the ground are and what the priorities are to develop for you a budget that authentically represents the needs of the district. As based on what we know so far up to several months of these meetings, we forecasted for you on April 26th that that would represent somewhere between a 3.4 and $5.8 million increase. Obviously the high end of that is a very, very substantial increase. But if you'll recall, we talked about the three buckets that represent that potential increase. And that includes um, cost increases, things that are coming in this ne next budget, regardless of the strategic decisions that we make. That's contractual increases. There are some fixed special ed education increases that we'll talk about on Thursday. That's about $2 million. Then there are um, upward, you know, up to $4 million, which there are decisions to be made. But as we pointed out um, when, last week, um, with nine expiring CBAs, um, that is a significant variable that we will need to take into account uh, one way or another. And then the third variable is this idea of the sort of collision between the COVID-related expenses and the operating expenses and the fact that they can't be completely walled off from one another. We can trace them and we can, we can, we can sort of assign them as to say this is the potential funding source for, for that, but there is inevitably some degree of overlap. So if you were to tell me right now, if you for some reason said you wanted to take a vote tonight as to what the request should be, I mean, it, that's really up to the school committee. Um, I wouldn't necessarily, based on the facts we have, recommend requesting something in excess of $6 million over the FY21 budget because based on the facts that we have right now, um, you know, again, as I said before, I think I, the way I put it was we would need some additional strategic planning to happen in very short order in order to, to make good on that investment. But I certainly wouldn't request, wouldn't suggest that you, re you, you make a request that is less than the 3.4 million over the operating budget because fixed costs and the bare minimum of the priorities that we've identified would represent a $3.4 million increase over your FY21 number. And I think in terms of where do we land between 3.4 and 5.8, I think that's what these conversations are about. Understanding that, that everything I just said is in the first lane of you developing an authentic request reflective of the district's needs. We understand fully that the city, that the municipal government has budgetary priorities and needs that have to be addressed across the city. And we will be prepared to operate the schools based on the appropriation that is made. And we will do so uh, you know, to the best of our ability. And given the, you know, these various funding sources are available, I'm confident we're gonna be able to, to, to do it well. And I say that because, you know, as I said last time, it, it's sort of easier to live in a budget world where either we're pushing the panic button and saying, we're in a lot of trouble and we've, we've got to like, you know, call not the, whatever the equivalent of the budget 911 line is. And then there's you know, the world in which we're flush with cash and it's just a, a matter of identifying priorities. We're not squarely within either of those two uh, polarized camps right now. We have opportunities and we have some strategizing to do, but we understand that there are, given the economic conditions that we're living under, um, there are significant expenses within the school district and across the city. And we're cognizant of that as we go through this process. 
Um, yeah. And I, and I would say, you know, just sort of comparing this to past budgets, this budget is um, more ambitious than any budget I've seen the district put forward before. And I think in part it's um, due to sort of our alignment with the best practices and how budgeting should come together at the, the school level. So I do think when I read through this, I was like, yes, 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 yes. All these things are needed. They seem on target with what we need to do to restore the cuts that we um, incurred last year um, and to start to think about how to um, address students where they are when they come back. So I, I, I think overall, like there was not a single thing on this list that I said, we don't need that. Um, we could live without that. I, I frankly think the whole list is a yes if we're, <laughs> if we're like saying what we like um, or what we think is needed. Um, and I appreciated the, the cohesive nature of this. I think the other question that I had in my mind is I, I, when I think about the process, I'm sort of anticipating that come May 19th, we're going to want to be in a position to send up a budget that is approved by this committee so that the city has adequate time to review and ask their questions and react and, um, and that there is time for the um, allocation to come back um, and for us to react to that number, um, whatever it may be. So um, in terms of like, how does this translate into the, the thing that we will be asked to approve on May 19th? Um, I, I think the priorities the superintendent has outlined are um, on point and do um, a pretty remarkable job actually of blending sort of moving forward with restoring damage um, in lots of different ways. So thank you for the hard work. Um, and I look forward to seeing all these numbers come together. Thank you. Thank you, Member Graham. We have Member Kretz, Member Stone, Member Rousseau, Member Vandeklute. Thank you. Thank you for the reports and it's been a great presentation so far. Um, so I was looking at the details that we got in the draft recommendations for the elementary schools. I'll just start with the elementary schools first. Um, and I, I, something that caught my attention was under the additional budgetary priorities, um, it was listed, um, three of the elementary schools have listed um, a water filling station and procurement of additional playground equipment to coincide with plans for additional organized play and social engagement. So my first question, um, you know, for the water filling station is, I think that's a fantastic idea. I definitely think it's more sanitary to have water filling stations where, you know, we, where they can't go to the bubbler and they need to fill their bottles. So is that something that we are going to get funding from COVID funds and we could wait and we, you know, to get that funding and then maybe possibly install um, additional water filling stations at each of the, the, the schools in the entire district? Yeah, I, that's a great question, Ms. Kratz. I appreciate you raising it. Um, I think, I hope that, well, so this is an example, as I mentioned earlier, about how some of the schools are, are in different places. And so certainly it's going to be a key priority for us to make sure that 
um, sanitary, healthy, accessible, clean water stations are available at, at all schools. Um, but it may be the case that some schools are, uh, for various reasons, sometimes it's PTO funding, um, you know, sometimes it's luck, sometimes it's, um, there, there's a lot of reasons that sometimes schools get out ahead of each other from, from time to time, these types of expenses. So we'd want to look very carefully to make sure that um, whatever we're doing, we're doing consistently across the board. Um, and in terms of um, whether that particular issue, and I think I think it's in the row of additional funding priorities that are worthy of considering. So what what that essentially that category, and if you if you remember the table, there are four rows. Um, there's the piece that says long term, which basically means we have to do this, but um, there's no sort of like practical plan to do it in FY22. Although again, we keep an open mind and we see what happens with regard to that. And ultimately, it's the school committee that decides what you want to what you want to ask for. There's the FY222 priorities that we say from an operational perspective, and I'm using the term operationally broadly here, um, this is something that we have to, one way or another, figure out how to do in FY22. And then there's the COVID piece, which we say, this may not be realistic or practical absent that injection of federal funding, but we have the, the federal funding. And so we have to build a strategy and a plan to use it and use it wisely. And there's the additional category. And that's one where a lot of times you'll see those are, um, in most cases, uh, they're lower dollar uh, amounts and they're ones that we do want to prioritize. And it's either that we will determine sort of once the dust settles, it, and the reality is, as, as you know, the, the dust settles throughout the course of the fiscal year. So we can have a very, very precise budget of our 63 plus million dollars uh, laid out and then, you know, reality hits and all of a sudden we have personnel needs we didn't anticipate, we have retirements that we didn't anticipate, it fluctuates. And so this is something that we'd want to do one way or another, but whether or not that was something that was ultimately an operating expense, something that we prioritize because from a health perspective, if there's a nexus with COVID and that's where there's funding available and we're, we're, we're permitted to use that funding, so maybe we would, uh, or maybe if it's got something that we're gonna do on a district-wide basis, we could probably incorporate, potentially, not probably, potentially incorporate into one of our capital priorities, which would essentially you know, be utilizing other, other funding that was available. So I think the answer to your question is, we want to be, we want everyone to have access to good, clean, healthy water. We want it to be consistent across schools. We want our method of water distribution to be consistent with the times in which we're living. That speaks to a COVID nexus. And I exactly, how and when I think it's to be determined because it's not, while it's important, it's not as, it's not as important as restoring literacy intervention spe specialists or some of these other things. So it does need to happen. It has to happen consistently, but we'd likely sort of um, wait to strategize around that when we have some of these other unanswered questions resolved. And I, so I know there was the water question, but was there, a, was there a, I, I, yeah, I just had another question. It was in the same um, section. Oh, and I was just curious what the additional playground equipment was that yeah. coincides with the play and social engagement. So that's something that stuck out that is that something that, you know, we need to do for the playgrounds yeah. that's related to COVID so that the, the children can play, keeping socially distant. Yeah, I was just really curious about that where yeah. I have my upcoming school I committee meeting. Is that something we should be discussing where, you know, we are in COVID, if everybody's going back to school, I'm just very curious, what, what is the additional playground equipment 
that would be needed for the social engagement. That's Just right. keeping so in mind. That's, 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 that's another great question. I think it's a great opportunity for some of our um, principals, without putting anyone on the spot, to potentially speak to some of the uh, key educational implications of that type of investment. And yep. while um, Suzanne picks a name out of the hat to call on as to who's going to speak to that, I'll just say very briefly that this is another example of how um, something that can be clearly emphasized and necessary um, because we are coming out of the pandemic and we need to make sure that students are given the opportunity to re-engage socially in the way that like you need to when your age is you know four to whatever four to you know in your forties maybe. Um, and in, but in order to do that, raise that nexus at the same time, um, you know, it may be the case that we, we, we fund it through, it could be a capital priority, it could be an operating, uh, operational priority, but this is something that is always important. Students will need to have playground equipment and engage in cooperative play long after COVID is well, well in the rear view mirror, but it's even more important now. And I think maybe Ms. K um, might want to, if that's okay with you, Mayor, speak uh, very briefly to why this is not just a critical priority, but a critical priority right now in this context. Can I just make a quick point of information, Mayor? Point of information? Um, I, uh, Member Kratz, I just yes. wanted to highlight for you that the four elementary schools intended to submit grant requests to the WIN um, mm -hmm. for water filling stations, I think one for each floor in each building. Um, I know that some of the elementary schools were successful, but there was a problem with the application, which was due Friday, where mm -hmm. it shut down. It was shut down on Friday morning. So I'm not clear that all of the elementary schools got their grant request in. It was the intent that they would all send the same thing. And I'm just, I, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that they all got in because of the application issue. Um, but the intent was to, to try to um, lever that grant funding to provide some support there across all four elementary schools. Thank you, thank you for providing that. Is there a that. question in that point of order? I, it was a point of information. I was just trying to provide member credit some information. You just have request information on a point of information. Just pointing that out, because I know I've got it confused in the past as a city council used to do it wrong. Um, well, if the request was whether or not that happened, we'll look into it and get back to you. So. That's my request. Yeah. Thank you. There we go. Okay. Um, Thank member you. My request shall be granted. But um, <laughs> in this case, she's off my screen, but she's still, did she leave? Oh, she's you. ready. Okay. Um, so. My turn, yes? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, so to the playground equipment um, piece of it, um, it was definitely noted that what we did at the Columbus uh, was we had some things that the kids could structure play. So there were two um, curved handles with a bean bag that they could throw back and forth to each other. Um, we had some relay race areas that we were able to set up, uh, hula hoops, jump ropes, those kind of things that we sanitized between uh, play. And what I noticed was the kids were outside, they were actually arguing less, playing with one another more, getting a lot more exercise um, a lot less injuries were taking place when the kids were using these things. So oftentimes when they go outside, you know, the kids, I want to play ball and someone else wants to play something else. But if someone's a little bit more forceful, then there's a child who doesn't get to play what they want to play on a regular basis and arguments might ensue. And, you know, 
um, this was just, it was structured. So they went out there, the teachers took the kids to its a station and they rotated through it all. Um, so like structure is, is the basic word there rather than just, okay, it's recess time, go outside and play. They could play on the playground equipment and that was part of their rotation, but they had these other things available to them as well. Um, and they just seemed to really be having a much better time, a much safer time. And, um, and they, were, they were playing with one another and, and arguments were less. So um, I am um, talking with my gym teacher to find some equipment that would be best suited for that. We did um, borrow a lot of things from the gym. And so um, I want to make sure that he can get those back too. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Thank you, Dr. K. Thank so you. I think that's a good, as we yeah. talked at the beginning that there's behind all the sort of dollars and cents discussion, there are implications for uh, how children are learning. And I think um, that's a very sort of real illustration for that. So I appreciate, I appreciate Dr. K that out first. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ms. K. That was really helpful. And I, I hope that we can get some of these items so that they, the children, when they get back, you know, in the fall can, you know, participate in these different rotations. It sounds like a lot of fun. And, and I love that they're arguing less and they're getting more exercise and, and probably just enjoying their, their time out and getting the fresh air. Thank you very much. Thank you. Member Stone. Thank you, Mayor. Um, Mr. Murphy, I don't know if it's possible for you to share one of the slide decks that talks, um, has the superintendent's draft recommendations, any school, anyone, sure. just so people know what I'm referring to. I'm happy to do that. Thank you. It's hard to get a visual yeah, or for me to explain it accurately. So this is this is the, the cover sheet. And as we scroll through, you'll see. That right. You so you can just go to the first one you see that has sure. the... Yeah, that's great. Um, where'd you go? <laughs> no, down further. Uh, yep, the sorry. one that lists critical FY22. There yep. we have it. That's great. Sure. So I just want to um, talk about this slide or this part of the budget because it's for all the schools. And as people can see, it says critical FY and the example of textbooks and the next one, long-term budgetary priorities, literacy and math coach positions, which we all know are necessary. And then additional, um, like Member Kretz said, the water filling and playground equipment, which we know is important. So Mr. Murphy, I'm just um, wondering, because I understand that everything is so departmentalized here. So these numbers on the right were not in this school's budget at the end of this part of this school. So are these budget um, line budget items going to be under a different department or are these something we would add to the end of this elementary ed budget? That, that's a good question and there isn't really a uniform answer to that because I think I, I do think there are some decisions that should be made after this budget is adopted with regard to how the budget is organized. Um, okay. I am not necessarily suggesting at this time that we uproot every line item in the $63 million budget and align them with better practices in part because frankly, the, the departmentalization of this budget is reflective of a departmentalization of the district itself. And I think we have to make some strategic decisions about the district and then the budget has to reflect that. I wouldn't suggest that we should redo the budget and then dictate from the from this, again, to the okay. point about there's a limitation as to the, what you can get out of a budget. So I'm not suggesting we uproot all that. So in some okay. cases, in some cases, 
these would be line items that are added to the school budgets. But there's very little, as you, as you know, there's very little on the school budgets themselves. And so, you know, as we went through, we did see some instances in which there was um, funding that was tucked away in particular line items at schools that didn't necessarily have the, what I'll call the, the most airtight rationale. And so there's some shifting with regard to that. You'll see in the spreadsheets that you have um, that we've reduced the, and this is again, after consultation with everybody affected and, and understanding the history of some of these lines. Um, but the, uh, there was a, a supply line for the high school that was like 35,000. And then it was like 2000 at an elementary school or maybe like 1000. And right. so now there was a rationale to that, but it's not necessarily one that you would understand just by reading the line item. And so you'll see some movement in those lines. But if you talk, if we're talking about personnel, in many cases, um, again, a little different at elementary versus at the middle school, but that's, if there was a personnel investment, it would typically land in one of the department budgets, despite the impact really being felt uh, within the, the, the school community. So there's- Okay, just so I know how to move forward. Yep. Building base literacy and math, coaches are um, specialists or interventionists, whatever. Would that go under Ms. Khan and the math department? So then I just have to make a mental note when Ms. Khan presents to yeah. make sure there's math so, specialist in there? Or do I just yeah. make a note when we go through it at the end to make no. sure there's literacy and math specialists? I just, I love the superintendent's recommendations. I think the critical no, ones yeah. are definite and the long-term budgetary priorities are definite. So I just want to figure out how I can work with everyone to make sure at least those two top portions sure. of the recommendations make it you, at the end of the You want to know where to, where to find them. Basically. Right. Right. So at the elementary level, they will be on the school budget. Um, and I'll like it. At the, okay. at the secondary level, they will be in the departmental budgets. As of okay. Right. And Great. that's generally true with regard to personnel items. You know, a, a, one of the things that this brings up, and again, if I could just um, scroll down really quickly to show, um, I think this is a place. But wherever we talk about the need for uh, the grade level paraprofessionals. So the grade level yes. paraprofessionals, right now, that would be budgeted within the, uh, the pupil services budget in, in one of the special education lineups. And Paraprofessional work is frequently inextricably linked to work uh, with, with students with disabilities, but that's not necessarily true. And I think frankly, the fact that all of our paraprofessionals are currently budgeted within the special education umbrella, um, I think is inconsistent with the points that Ms. McLaughlin was making earlier about how we should be structured and what our priorities are. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean because we, we put something in on one spreadsheet as opposed to another, that we're not thinking of all students as general education students. That would be a gross exaggeration of this. But um, the, the way the budget is structured is reflective of how we're currently organized. It does manifest itself in ways that um, I don't think are always driven entirely by student interest. And we are pointing, we are, we as an administrative team are pointing some of these things out to the school committee and to the community as a way of communicating to you that we have some changes that um, have to be made over time and they have to be done responsibly. Okay, could so the paraprofessionals, perhaps they would live on the elementary school budget 
if that was something that we were able to prioritize and invest in. But it, that would be a change from how we've done it in the past. Okay, all right. Could you scroll up for a minute just sure. to another, the slide above this one? Just, um, nope, one more up, sorry. Just yeah. where it's right here, just yeah. for um, parents and community members, because I, I was confused when I read this this sure. morning where you have grade levels, pre-K to five, budget FTEs 28, actual FTEs 82. Could you explain that to our community members? Because I had, I had no idea what the heck sure. that meant. Yep. Um, I, I appreciate you asking, and I, I will say that I think this is important information, but it's here in part in the hope that someone would ask. So thank you. Thank you, Ms. Bishon, for asking. Um, if you walk into the Columbus Elementary School, there are, on any given day, 82 members of the Metro Public Schools community who are there serving the interests of Columbus School students. If you look at the Columbus School budget, there are 28 people who are budgeted to serve the interests of Columbus School students. Now, um, some of those 82 don't spend 100% of their time at the Columbus. That's part of why it might make sense to live you know, in, in a departmental budget or a district-wide budget. Um, but most of those 82 do. And so if part of our objective with the budget is to be transparent as to like what we're investing in, um, that is a little bit of a challenge. I wouldn't say there's a right or a wrong way to do this. Um, and I think you, again, no one, if somebody really wants to understand the school, the spreadsheet that details how much everyone in the school is getting paid is probably not the best place to go to really like absorb that information. Um, but 28 and 82 is a fairly sizable discrepancy. And I, I do think that it's reflective of some of the things that we as an organization have to uh, ponder. Okay. Thank you. Sure. All right. I'm good. I have no okay. more questions. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. Thank you. Member Russo, Member Vandekloot, and then Member Kratz. Thank you very much. And I, I greatly appreciate the explanation about the discrepancy in those two numbers. Um, I think the middle school one is the most fascinating one, which appears to show four people working at each middle school. Um, I think Mr. Chief would say on some days it felt like that this year, but that's sort of a different, um, that's a different story. I think that's different. Um, um, I guess my, my other question was around the elementary school and the, the need for an additional special, um, you know, the three FTEs, um, well, that won't be free, of course. Um, and I feel like we can easily identify a, a nearly endless number of additional staff we want for other reasons. Um, I feel like I know the answer to this question, but why are we not considering a second recess? These kids, you know, as, as the learning loss is what Desi wants to talk about day in and day out. And um, the academic journals have sort of turned a bit towards um, Maybe learning loss is actually the biggest issue, and this this need for social emotional learning um, and recess, which I've sort of been on for the last three and a half years, even before the pandemic. Um, and I feel like you know Desi has time and learning requirements, and um, you know we as a school committee could vote to add another recess, but the only way to technically do that, I understood, was to make the day longer because the number of hours, uh, minutes of learning are restricted to what they are. Uh, so I guess my question is, um, has there been any conversation that you all are aware of with the Department of Ed um, around whether or not the uh, time and learning requirements are going to remain the same for the upcoming year, or is there actually a chance we can add another recess 
um, when I heard Dr. K talk about the um, the structured learning, I mean, that all sounded really fun and interesting. Um, but I mean, I don't have to tell the educators here that structured learning and unstructured free play are completely unrelated skills, and our kids are going to need those unstructured free play as well. Um, and so, you know, adding some more academic time might sound like a good idea, but um, you know, the teachers might really suffer, frankly, if their kids have yet more academic time when they really just need more recess time. So um, has that been a, looked into as an actual option? I, I think, I, I think um, I, I'd like Ms. Galusi to, to, again, speak to sort of the, the instructional implications and benefits of um, the programming as it's currently being developed. But I'll just say really quickly, first with regard to DESE, um, I, I would be shocked based on the information we've heard on if there was a loosening of any kind with regard to time, time and learning restrictions, it's it's entirely possible. They certainly, you know, on occasion they've been known to shift positions um, after articulating one one policy during the pandemic and then moving to a different one. So um, anything is possible, um, but that certainly wouldn't be an expectation I would have going into the school year. I would also say with regard to the to the length of the day, when, as you make that point, I think one of the things that's important as we think about our ESSER budget, and as we think about um, combating some of the COVID-related challenges going into this next school year, we have to be open, I think, to looking at every single variable within our control. And so that might mean that part of our ESSER funding, and this is articulated there if you, if you look through the documents, that we're looking at some type of extended school day option. But in extended school, that does not, just to be clear before, I'll be cleaning that mess up that I just created really quickly. That does not mean we're going to be going to extend the school day for all students every day at every school. That's not at all what I'm suggesting. But what I am suggesting is that the length of the school day for individual students is one of the variables that we potentially can control. And so we might have to look at that to see what are the after school options that we're offering. And when we look at that after school, those options, we have to look at students' needs in their entirety. So that might mean um, free, free play within the safe confines of the school. It might mean additional academic uh, support for students who have, you know, are, are, are suffering from legitimate learning loss over the course of these two years. And it could mean a variety of other things, and it might mean something different at different parts of the year. These are all the variables that we have we have to think about. Um, and I think that as that Su what Suzanne can speak to much better than I can, that when we look at this fifth special, this is not a, uh, a you know a skill and drill type program that we're looking at. We're looking at what are the comprehensive needs of students, and free play is absolutely one of them, and we have to provide space for that. But the the multitude of needs that that students are coming in at, and the varying levels of need, and the way in which the pandemic has affected students in different ways, is something that we have to try to take into account as we develop this. So, Susan, do you want to just expand upon that a little bit? Well, you're doing such a great job there, Mr. Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, all I would say is that I think. In listening to people speak this evening, the, the SEL thread starts in pre-K and goes all the way through 12th grade. And so I think it, one of the curriculums that we have um, at the elementary level is also zones of regulation. And if students aren't in the green zone and their social emotional needs are not taken care of, then they're not going to be ready to learn. And so we know, I mean, I'm a mother myself. I have two very different students. And one fits very nicely inside the box and has done well. Uh, 
the past year and a half. And one of my children uh, is not even anywhere near that box and has had, you know, her struggles. And so I think we know that when students come back to school, they're all going to be at different places. And part of this special is going to focus on those social emotional needs in addition to what teachers are doing on a daily basis, six hours that they have those students, but also weave in some of the executive functioning skills that were missed and lost during children being at home. And part of those executive functions are also social skills. It's not just the executive functioning skills that relate to academics. Some of those are the social skills that will also be worked um, and enhanced. Uh, the other piece that I do want to say where there is a lot of an unknown for next year, currently right now, and you know the principals could speak to this as well, but I know many of the grades, especially on nice weather days, they're taking the students outside for snack. Um, it's an opportunity to have another mask break. It's also an opportunity to get some fresh air and after the recess, run around for a little bit and get that kind of um, second burst that you're talking about, um, Member Rousseau. I would imagine that if we are, time and learning is very important, but if we're also returning next year with masks still in place, a similar schedule and requirement is still going to be happening um, where we're gonna take those opportunities for lessons as well as snack to be outdoors. Thank you. Member Van de Kloot and then Member Kretz. Uh, thank you. As I'm listening to this discussion, I can't help but feel um, the, the word that Suzanne just used was, was opportunities. And there is here an incredible opportunity. Part of it will depend on how we structure it uh, and, you know, how creative we can be um, in terms of uh, meeting the needs of our kids, but also providing the, that sort of what Paul suggests, extra outside time, um, extra time where social emotional needs are, are met. Um, and it's really uh, very interesting just to, to think about as, as this conversation has taken a place. Now, of course, that's gone a little bit far from the budget, but um, it's been worthwhile to uh, listen and to, to, to think about. Going back to the budget, I just really, uh, many of my colleagues asked questions that I already had on my list, but I just wanted to be clear. Um, if before you were on, for example, it happened to be the Columbus School, but there were other things um, listed like replacing outdated Chromebooks so that we could maintain the pandemic purchases or replacement tiles. I assume that we'll be discussing things like that in the particular um, uh, under under different parts of the budget. Yes, I mean uh, the uh, certainly um, broken. I mean the the broken tiles is one of those ones that could really sit uh, at the intersection of a maintenance and a capital budget. But we will it will be one way or another it will be addressed. Um, the Chromebook question um, we will have a discussion at, when we talk about in the, with the technology department about some of the priorities and some of the investments. But I will say that you've all seen the slide of the, of the $4.8 million put in as part of our FY21 uh, COVID-related allocation. And there is a, I believe, either 2.3 or $2.7 million that have been put into our technology. And so 
there's I, I don't think there's ever for as long as there's a public school system, there's going to be technology investments and initiatives articulated as part of a budget. Um, there will be probably uh, different and potentially fewer um, technology priorities listed in this budget, at least in terms of sort of like you know student usable devices and things of that nature, because we have made such a tremendous investment over the course of the last year. And we've built up a, res a reserve of, of Chromebooks and we have addressed some of our other technology needs, but there are more capital related technology pieces, um, shoring up our Wi-Fi networks and making sure that our, our switches and our access points are all in place and our subscriptions are up to date. Um, those are pieces that you would hear either in a, on the technology side of the operating budget or in some cases on the capital side. Yeah. So, and also to follow up, and I realize that uh, Principal Kay has been very detailed here, but she did mention in her uh, pages, a replacement of walkie-talkies for the TLP program. I yeah, guess that, we just- That's an issue that I believe, we will update that we'll have, when we do buildings and grounds, we'll talk about um, the walkie-talkies, but we are, to the best of my knowledge, we're in the process of addressing that in FY21. Okay, because I would I would certainly be concerned that if there are broken equipment in that for that particular need that it would not wait for next year, but it would in fact um, uh, we would find a way to do it this year. Yeah, it's my understanding that it's happening now, but we'll confirm that prior to the next presentation. Okay, thank you very much. Could I could I also just add on that um, Dr. K just let me know that the tiles actually were already fixed. Oh, so great! I think that illustrates what uh, Mr. Murphy was talking about when these things come up; they're just addressed. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting for the community's benefit too that um, this the presentation includes both the superintendent's draft recommendation to the school committee, but also the firsthand account of uh, principals. And so sometimes there'll be cases where the firsthand account you know could can be updated because we've been able to uh, address something. But we also want as to provide the school committee with as much sort of authentic and raw data as possible from the people that are closest to the work. At the same time, the table with the superintendent's draft recommendations are really sort of the critical part of the conversation because it, it, we have a responsibility to pull all of the priorities together, to factor in all of the various perspectives that are represented here, and then put forth a coherent and a coordinated uh, set of proposals to the school committee. So that's, yep. why both, that's why both of those tables are there. And I very much appreciate the, the coordinated um, presentation at the beginning. Um, you know, there's just some of these details and it's actually quite good to hear um, that, yes, that's taken care of. Yes, that's taken care of. So um, I, I appreciate both. Thank you. Uh, I see that Principal Kay has her hand up. Um, Principal Kay, is it on this or do you want to talk after Member Kratz? Um, it was in reference to the walkie talkies, if I may. Sure. So I think uh, for for us in the TLP program, the idea would be to kind of like um, as the elementary principals, we've all asked that we keep our Chromebooks current so that the ones that are old and outdated, we, we constantly have enough for the children. Same thing with the walkie-talkies. Batteries die. Sometimes they get broken. So everybody who needs a walkie-talkie uh, has one right now. We, we did have um, two in reserve, and so that's helped us. But I think I just want to make sure that we keep in mind that there needs to be a little bit of cushion money every year for me to be able to do that when those needs arise. And that's, that's why I put that in there. Just to clarify. Thank you. Member Kretz. 
Yes. Um, I had a question and I know it's, it's a personal priority. Um, it's um, in regards to the vocational school. It was something that seemed concerning to me. Um, it's, it's noted here that the Medford Vocational School is not currently part of the cleaning contract with the school and they are requesting additional allocation of funds um, to ensure that all the CTE vocational shop spaces are included. So that, that seemed concerning to me. Um, you know, how are, the, how are the other classrooms getting cleaned if they're not part of the cleaning contract? That, that's a good question, and um, I'm happy to, for, to ask Mr. Fallon to provide an on-the-ground, um, very concise perspective on that. But I will say that when this was identified, it is something um, that we immediately looked into, and we've, uh, I, I have reviewed in recent days the current um, vendor contract that does the cleaning services, uh, and there are some ambiguities that I think we're going to have to address um, with the vendor. Um, it is a new contract. I believe it was renewed last year. And so we're going into, I believe, uh, I may be mixing this, I, I, I believe it's on the same cycle as the transportation contract, but I can go back and look at that. But it's definitely, um, it is rolling in, into the next um, fiscal year. And there's a, there's a, it is part of our fixed cost increases. Um, and so if we are to expand the definition of the area that is covered by this, um, it is an issue that we have to address with the ambiguity of that language. But in light of this being both a contractual issue with regard to it, the ambiguity with the, our agreement with the vendor and the labor implications of, of which um, certainly we would have to uh, address, I'll, I'll, I'm happy for, for Chad to speak to sort of, to, in a very concise way, the immediate impact and what he's seeing as the administrator, but just keeping in mind that we're likely to have discussions with two external entities both the union representing our, our custodians and the vendor contract that we have, we get with some ambiguity. So bearing in mind the sensitivity of those conversations, Chad, I would invite you to thread that needle and uh, speak to the committee. Are we able to unmute Mr. Fallon? I'm looking. Sorry. There we go. There you go, Mr. Fallon. Um, the cleaning contract in specific, so there several of our academic classrooms are included on that, but many of the CTE shops, if you will, are not. It's, it's no one's fault. It's probably years ago, back when we think of vocational ed, it was different. And maybe there was more involvement with students in the classroom doing the... It, things have changed over the years. Um, we need better cleaning. We need the garbage emptied on a daily basis. There's just... there's many reasons why we need this. Um, so I brought it up because I knew that it was gonna be an issue and I knew that it would have some financial implications. Um, but it's not all the classes though, Kathy. It, it's just, it, it's really more of the, the shop. So, you know, I want the floors done each night. I want things picked up. I, I want, you know, above and beyond what the students will do each day during their own cleanup time. This is more of a, a sanitary clean. And, and I would like that too, Chad. Yeah, thank you so much. And, um, you know, I really, you know, I hope that we can allocate some additional funding so that we can, we can take care of that. Um, it's very important that we do that, you know, especially during the COVID times, you know, we, we just need to make sure that, you know, the classrooms and the CTE shops are getting just, you know, sanitized every day. I, I, Ms. Gretz, I completely agree with that. The one thing I would say is, it's not clear to me that we need to allocate additional funding for this. I think it may be, I want to, I want to start with attempting to clarify 
for the external entities responsible for our custodial services, what the expectations are, and to the degree that there is any type of change in what the previous expectations that have been articulated, I wanna make sure that we do that in, a, in an appropriate way with those external entities. Um, I think there's no question that this has to be done. It's not clear to me that it's gonna require additional funding. If it, if it does, we will, we will certainly um, advise the committee of that. But I think the, the critical thing here is this is something that needs to get done. Yeah, and just so everybody knows, the, the sanitation part, the, the daily cleaning and the spraying by our buildings and grounds crew, that's being done. I, I don't want anyone to think that that's not being done. This is completely different. This is, um, you know, more in-depth sur surface cleaning and things above and beyond. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you both. Thank you. Um, any other questions? I know I have a question about the, um, not necessarily budget related, but in a, in a way you mentioned the district and DESE's recommended fully back to school for all students unless a medical exemption, but that wouldn't be, um, how would we, do we know how many we're expecting to potentially have a medical exemption? And what does that look like per grade level and the cost to, um, or how will we manage that? Will that be streaming from home while the teachers are in school? If, if they, for the students who are on a medical exemption? Yes. I think um, the variable that you've identified there in terms of how many students is really the critical question. And we, frankly, we don't, we don't know the exact number. It is, uh, dramatically fewer than the students who are in cohort D right now and, and learning remotely. Um, that's, you know, somewhat, uh, I, I would be, they were confident of that. And so, but what that number is and what um, services we potentially uh, attempt to procure, certainly at the secondary level, there are options that we might want to explore. There are districts, um, that have discussed partnerships of some kind uh, in an attempt to pool resources, um, depending on, on the size of, of those numbers. So those are important questions. Um, and certainly, you know, there's a nexus there between the, the you know, COVID related expenses and um, virtual schools that would otherwise not exist. So um, I, I don't have a specific answer for you other than if right now we're at, I believe 36% or 37%, something like that, in terms of, uh, of our students being in cohort D, um, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be significantly uh, fewer than yeah. that. And then the question becomes, do we have one approach at, at elementary level where we can essentially have a virtual academy the way we have this year at the secondary level? Um, do we have to look at potential vendor options to um, service those students? Okay, so are we ready to, to make that decision with regards to no remote, put the definition out, and then kind of take a survey of our families for next yeah. year so that we can kind of get an idea before June 30th when we yeah. have to make the budget official? I think we're getting close to the, to the surveying um, step in the sequence. I think that there's, DESE has, I think, done a lot of um, foreshadowing of what the requirements are going to be, but I've not necessarily... Um, said definitively, it, you know, at, at, from a uh, regulatory policy uh, basis, um, what the, what the, what the sort of options, if any, will be. 
And so I, I, I think surveying is fine. I think we're ready to do that now, understanding that there'll be a nine binding element to it and there'll be pieces of the communication and the survey that we're not necessarily posi well positioned to, to communicate because it's better if we would be able to reference explicitly to exactly what Desi has said. And if they haven't, if they've been even to some degree ambiguous, you know, we can't be as clear as we'd like to be, but I think you're right that even starting to sort of get a, a general sense as to, as to what the, the magnitude of that would be, um, would probably be, be prudent at this point. Dr. Edward Vincent, did you want to say something? I think I said. Yeah, I, I, I just was uh, just, I think piggybacking on what Mr. Murphy was just sharing um, with the way that um, we returned to school very quickly um, the guidance that we received as um, the data started to show that um, spread among students and in schools was more limited than um, what we thought it might have been. Um, you know, my preliminary feelings is that it is being, um, uh, it's, it definitely is not going to be strongly encouraged to have an identical model to what existed this year. And um, that it would function at a significantly um, lower rate or lower percentage, but we have not received official guidance. I don't know if um, Desi, you know, I expect them to be saying something in the coming weeks um, that we will be able to definitely present at a regular school committee, uh, school committee meeting or another budget meeting to be able to provide um, a clearer update. So um, I was agreeing, we could definitely um, gather information, but we, we wanna be able to, um, I think, function differently for next school year and okay. get back to some sense of no normalcy where the majority of adults um, will have been vaccinated and um, you know, the mask mandate for outside was lifted as of last Friday maintaining um, distance, but, you know, not having the requirement of the mask and the anticipation of more of the Commonwealth opening up um, over the course of the summer. So I, I do feel for some of the information, we're gonna have to be on standby, but um, I can definitely um, try to start asking at, you know, at DESE at that level to see when we may get guidance. Thank you. Thank you. No, the questions from the committee. We have a Andre. You have two minutes. Yeah. Hi. Um, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Great. Thank you. Um, so I just want to start by by thanking the the school committee and city and superintendents for for the the work that's been done already in in addressing some of the challenges that a number of parents are facing around after school care. Uh, one of the things that that we did here as as we were investigating through the the current and past situation was that the the money that parents pay into the after-school program goes into a revolving account and the funds from that revolving account um, traditionally have been used to offset some of the operational budget for the school system. 
Um, so one thing that that we'd like to to ask is that you know it feels like we have made steps forward in, in addressing this this challenge in after school care, but that we we keep in mind that you know allocating money from that revolving account that parents are paying in um, at an increased rate to try and provide after school care that's that's available and accessible that that's not used to offset operational budgets uh, moving forward that, that are going to sort of continue to, to leave us in this challenging situation. Um, so I guess that's, that's my one request. I didn't see sort of that covered here. I don't know if that's covered as part of, of other breakdowns, but kind of understanding sort of what funding is, is like how much of the school budget is funded by the city and and what's funded out of these revolving accounts where parents are paying in for after school care and that's being used for just the operational budget of the school system. Hey, may I respond? Thanks. May I make a point of parliamentary procedure, please? Procedure. Thank you. If we could just ask um, for name and address on the record for any speakers, please. Name and address, Andre, if you, please. Andre, if you could just give us your name and address. I'm sorry, I think I did it muted. So Andre Quinn at 19 Johnson Ave, Medford. Thank you very much. Mr. Murphy. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, there's no intention to fund any of the priorities articulated this evening via the before and after school revolving account. Uh, the before and after school revolving account, as we discussed in the uh, presentation on before and after school programming, um, will be used to uh, support the operations of that program, the intended expansion of that program, uh, and also to uh, ensure that there's sufficient funding to respond to any unanticipated personnel needs uh, that are, arise as a result of our obligation to service the needs of students. So um, I, I, I think we will uh, in time touch upon the, the state of the revolving accounts and, and where they are and, and how, uh, what our strategies are to make sure that they're uh, both growing at a responsible rate, but also being um, that the that funding is being uh, allocated appropriately consistent with um, the laws governing the, the use of revolving accounts. And so I do not, I don't anticipate um, the operational or COVID related uh, expenses that have been discussed this evening uh, being supported uh, as a result of revenue generated via the before and after school revolving account. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. I know our next meeting is Thursday night, same time, 7 p.m., Thursday, May 6th, which will, is, has been posted, I believe, already, if not. Mia has a question. Member Ms. Stone. Um, just because we're coming up, it's 8.56. I would, um, just because things move quickly and items are added or items are um, discarded, could I make a motion that at least the top two parts of the superintendent's recommendations are included in the right budget, whether it's under special education or transportation or math department or elementary. So under it would be the critical FY22 budgetary priorities and then the next group, the long-term budgetary priorities. Anyone want to second. second? 
What, what, page, what pages are you referencing? Um, so it's really, it's the summary at the end of each school that shows the superintendent's recommendations and it's by priority level. Mm -hmm. So I think the first two priority levels are definitely necessary necessities. Um, there's a third that says additional budgetary priorities worthy yeah. of consideration I, that I think we can consider at a, a later time. And then it's COVID mitigation priority. So there's, there's a recommendation on each for each school. Um, but I would just like to see the top two levels included under the right department or grade level. Um, just because I think the superintendent has listened to us over the past year and um, knows this is what the community has shared with us and teachers have shared with us. And these are things that are necessary to move our children forward um, in September. So your motion, just state that again, is that it should be placed in the correct budget for then a final review at the end of the month. That's correct. Thank you. Motion for approval by member Mr. Seconded by member McLaughlin. Roll call. Member Graham. Yes. Member Kratz. Yes. Uh, member McLaughlin. Yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes. Member Vanderclute. Yes. Mayor Longo Kern. Yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. The paper is approved. Um, Can I just ask one clarifying question? Too? Yeah, with regards to, um, I, I don't know how much guidance you've got on SR3, although I know you've yeah. got it on SR2. Can you sure. give us a breakdown of what would be covered from all four boxes through yeah. SR2 and 3, such as the first thing I can think of is just the water, water filtration systems to refill yeah. water bottles where you don't want kids touching this, you know, putting their right. mouths close. Um, so if you could give us a list of that for one of our upcoming budget yeah. meetings. So that, that, that's the sort of the point that I was gonna raise. We have guidance that we could provide tomorrow related to, to ESSER two. It's very broad. I think it could, it could encompass most of what we're discussing here tonight. ESSER three, we don't yet have guidance. Although I, from the conversations I've had with people from the state and other districts, it doesn't appear as though that the, the restrictions are going to become more narrow. Um, and so most of this could be encompassed by the ESSER um, budgets. But I want to go back to the point that we discussed at the beginning of tonight's presentation is that um, there are, there's a, there's a tension here. And I think a need to not adopt wholesale, either the idea that ESSER is fully walled off or that it's fully integrated mm -hmm. is somewhere in between. And so I take the committee's motion to say, this is something that the committee wants to pay for, that it's a priority, that we have to make sure that we provide this service, fund this position, so on and so forth. We will return to you, and the hope is we have more guidance on SR3 by May 19th. And so this will be reflected in a budget based on this, uh, on the feedback we've received from the, from the committee. Now, the committee could then say, no, we want to hold off on funding source A. We want to request that it be in funding source B. That's the committee's prerogative. But the point is that it's going to be included in a budget. We're going to figure out a way to do it. And then when we figure out you know, where there are some restrictions, but not in others, and as some of the other priorities get realized, you know, there, can, there could be shifting in terms of the actual funding source. And that's the conversation that we'll continue to have in this forum and with our counterparts at the city as we begin to understand you know, what is our capacity and what flexibility do we have regarding these various um, funding sources. So 
um, exactly which line item it sits in, I would ask that we um, defer on for the time being, but I take the committee's motion to say that you agree that this is in fact a legitimate priority. I'm not surprised to hear you say that because I know in some cases, these are things that you have been advocating for um, for some time. But I think in terms of the sort of technical piece of this, which I know people have very strong feelings about, and I think I understand why, that's a conversation that will continue to unfold over the coming weeks. Does that does that make sense to everyone? And Ms. Mastone, is that consistent with the intent of the motion that you offered? Thank you. Yeah, and I and I hear you loud and clearly about the the ESSER money, and I think it's important that we don't overspend it, but that we do spend it before 2025. So it would be beneficial to this committee over the next couple of weeks to have a list of what qualifies yeah. through through ESSER. Yeah, like I said, we can do we that now. For create, we cannot create a structural deficit. So I just, I, so I hear you loud and clear. We can't put in 50 new positions and then come 2025 cannot be able to afford them. Yes, nice that's, that's true. Although, as I said, it's also true that we can't neglect the immediate and urgent needs that we're, there's a balance, there's an equilibrium that we are attempting to strike with, with these proposals and hopefully you know, we're doing it correctly. Is there a motion for mayor member Graham? Um, thank you to that. end, I just um, also wanted to make a motion that um, the COVID mitigation priorities outlined in this um, presentation are prioritized. I think sort of my assumption is that they would align well with ESSER funding, um, but would defer that to the administration in terms of how best to do that. But um, in the end, when I look at um, what the school year looks like next year, I, I would like to make a motion that we see these things in real life in our schools come September. So I would like to make a motion that these COVID mitigation priorities also be presented as part of the final budget for review and approval by this committee. Second. Just if you could repeat that, Member Graham, so I can write it down. Sure, the COVID mitigation priorities outlined in the presentation will be presented as part of the FY22 uh, spend, whether it's part of the main budget or our plans to spend against our ESSER grant. I don't understand what you mean. Can you just, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Everything that's listed in the COVID mitigation priority buckets is in, we can see it in real life at the beginning of September, which means we as a committee will have been presented with a budget that approves the spending of these items. Mayor, could I just ask another clarifying question? Member Murphy, um, Mr. Murphy. Thank you. Um, and I, it's basically the same question I posed with regard to Ms. Mastone's uh, motion that I take this to, to mean that the, this motion would uh, indicate that the committee endorses the budgetary priorities, but whether that it's on an operating budget priority or an ESSER budget, 
the point is that it gets realized. And to the mayor's point, we understand that the ESSER funds are one-time funds. And so the committee should know that prior to May 19th, when you take a final vote on what that uh, budget request is, um, we will map out for you sort of everything in terms of what it is, what it means, and what it's, and, and what it's being charged to, so that if it's the case that we have six positions that are going to be charged to the ESSER account, we will know that we essentially have, depending on how many positions and, and you know what they cost and everything, we have a three-year runway that the particular funding source that are supporting these positions is not going to last in perpetuity. To the mayor's point about structural deficits, that, that means, frankly, one of three things. Either revenues recover and we can offset the, that charge as the COVID funds expire, or we as a school district look, or, or revenue is expanded. So that, that's sort of a, a 1A, I guess, in terms of that path. Option, option two would be we look within the school department and say over the course of the time period in which we know we have the ESSER funds that are supporting these positions, that we have to identify the savings necessary to, to, to offset that when those funds expire. The third option is that these are positions that we understand we may only have a three-year shelf life with, um, but understand that over the course of three years, there are other strategic decisions that can be made and, and positions can morph, you know, uh, we, we, can, we can look at roles differently. And so those are all the variables that we control and, but understand that, you know, uh, ESSER funds will not last in perpetuity, which means that we either need a different strategy to provide the services, and maybe it's the case, sometimes it's the case that we find ways to provide the services, but we don't need the positions. I mean, that is that is the, the, the reality of a budget year in and year out. We always have to take a fresh look at those needs. But I think the, the point is that what you're saying is that these are the things that we need. We identify now how to pay for them and understand that there are implications one way or another um, go, going forward. So, and also last thing, uh, as we get guidance related to SR3, you know, it may be the case that we come back and say, you know, theoretically, we could go back and say, look, you said you wanted to do X, Y, and Z. Well, we now know in order to do X, Y, Z, our funding options are more limited. And so we would come back to the committee and the committee would have the opportunity to weigh in and understand that if you tell us to do this, it means that we're not doing something else. And that's, I think, part, that's why this process is going to unfold over the next several weeks. And then ultimately, again, the, the appropriation will be what the appropriation is. And we will find a way to, to make it work. And I want to make, I, I think the community owes, um, I think we owe it to the community to provide that message as well. Yeah. So just like with member Mistone's motion, um, we would be saying that we are in support of the COVID mitigation priorities outlined here and that you all will advise us about how to put them in the right category um, yeah, in the final what budget. what the implications of doing that would be. Correct. Yep. That's the motion. We can do that. Second. Oh, Member Kratz's hands, sorry. Member, I think you, I couldn't, Member Kratz and Member McLaughlin. Yes. Um, so I just have a follow-up question. So, you know, just looking at these numbers. So if the motion that's put forth right now, we're going to 
account for like, let's say the Brooks has $140,000 here. And then I go to the, um, I'm just going to quickly go through the other page one second here, 140,000. So are we, is this vote to allocate the total of the funds in all the different categories right now this evening, not knowing what the appropriation is for this upcoming school year. I, I guess I'm a little confused or, or we already know that the COVID mitigation funds are gonna come out of the ESSER and Mr. Murphy is going to identify what's, what we would be able to do. So for example, like support staff and transportation needs for the extended school day. You know, that's definitely something I want. Um, I you guess I'm, I'm a little confused about what we're voting on. Yeah, I, th I think I take the motion to mean that as we move toward May 19th, the committee mm -hmm. is endorsing the priorities that have been articulated to them this evening. And so as we get to May 19th, and we have greater guidance with regard to the, the city's capacity, greater guidance with regard to the availability and, and use or restrictions on the federal funding, we will present the budget with the that a budget that reflects these priorities and explain to the committee what it means, if anything, in terms of other efficiencies that have to be identified. And if it's the case that some of the funding, that we are restricted from the from use of the funding for some of the purposes articulated here, which I don't frankly expect, but it might be the case that as we look at the budget in totality, we have to make some decisions. And, the, and for instance, the committee has endorsed, you know, multiple things for which there's only one funding source. And if you look at the timeline that the funding source is available for, we have to choose between option A or option B in the subsequent budget meetings, particularly on May 18th and May 19th, we'll come back and we'll ask the committee and we'll say, look, you said you like both X and you like Y. Um, if we do both, it means we can't do Z, which we, you know, presumably we already know that we want to do Z. Um, we would then ask the committee to weigh in on that and, and make that and make that decision, both in terms of whether you want us to pursue that priority and whether you're comfortable with the funding source that's been identified. And it might, it, that, that would be up to the committee at that, at that time. And again, keeping in mind that all of this is about, with regard to the operating budget, it is about the request that goes to the municipal government. Um, the ESSER funding, frankly, it's, it's a slightly different process because those are district, those are, that's funding that is controlled by the school district with restrictions in place uh, under federal legislation and, and most likely state regulation as well. Um, and so we, you know, that will not necessarily be a request. It'll be a, a decision that the school committee just has to make. And that's the information that we'll present to you. With regard to the ESSA funding, those decisions may very well outlast, they may extend beyond May 19th. I think the request, you know, certainly wouldn't go beyond that point. But, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of movement when we, I mean, for instance, we're going to have an influx of grant funding that will come in as it does every year related to special education. Um, you know, that will be a that will be a time where there will be shifting within the budget and we will have to go back and we'll have to continue to work with these decisions. But right now, this motion, as I understand it, and as has been confirmed by the folks that have offered it, um, is to endorse this set of priorities and for us to continue moving forward, building both an operating budget request and an ESSER budget in, in practice that is reflective of these priorities. Thank you. Member McLaughlin. Uh, Mayor, my question is not related to the motion, so I don't know if you wanted to move that business forward first and then refer to me. 
Okay, so the motion is to get the have the last COVID um, section in each department added into the budget for the final review at the end of the month. Is that correct? I think it's. I think what I hear is saying it, 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 for it to be funded one way or another. And so as we get more information and as we clarify this, the subsequent presentations will continue along these lines of including these priorities. They may live in the ESSER budget and they may, they may live in the operating budget. But the, the point is that these are the priorities that at the, this motion states the committee would like to see put into practice and realized in the, in the new school year. With the, final, with, the final, with the final review at the end of the month. Okay, I'll vote for that if it's just it has that language, no problem. Um, motion for approval by member Gra Graham, seconded by member Rousseau, roll call. All right, I gotta get my spreadsheet. Um, member Graham. Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes. Member Vanderkloot. Yes. Mayor Longo Kern. Yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. Motion to adjourn. No, Mayor, I actually now would love to be referred if I can. I have my hand up. I deferred to the motion. Member McLaughlin. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I was just wondering if for the, in, in the, um, I want to thank everyone for all their hard work, first of all, the principals and um, everyone that put all this work together. It's clearly a lot of work. Um, and a lot for the community and all of us to digest, of course. And I know that that it gets smoother over the course of these meetings. So I want the community to be patient in the literacy aspect of it and understanding sort of what folks are talking about. But to that end, I would love it if we could have some definition, if we might, of um, some of this, maybe some of the terminology that, again, the community might not know. Um, and we'll do, I'll do this obviously next week with some of the special education program, but programming. But for instance, what what is the designation of instructional support staff? How is that? What is that defined as? In terms of the, in the staffing table? Yes. Is it non-instructional or instructional? Instructional. It might, it may be that it's supposed to say non-instructional, but it's the building, I believe it's the building substitutes. Is there about uh, one per building and maybe one or two buildings with zero? Yeah. No, I don't see any with, I don't think I see any with, with a one, but so far I've seen them with zero. And so I was wondering what they meant, but is that what they mean? It substitutes? Building, typically that would mean a building substitute. Okay. So it's not related to reading specialists because reading specialists, I don't see disaggregated in these. In these um, in, in those tables, in those tables, they would um, be included as part of the teachers because they're in the teacher bargaining unit. So okay. 57. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, this is a good point. I mentioned that we're trying to um, resolve a few uh, organizational deficiencies in the course of building this budget. Um, one of the things that uh, is sort of a common experience is when we administrators say like, okay, we need to look at the staff rosters. And then we have eight different schools and we get eight different staff rosters and eight different formats. And, mm -hmm. information. and so we are in the course of this budget process developing uniform staff rosters to use as of both the communication uh, tool and also um, for purposes of just being able to identify where staff um, are and, and where they're supposed to be. Um, and so those tables come from that in the expanded version of the staff rosters that we have. Um, 
th those are delineated more specifically. Um, yeah. The mini, the miniature, the tables are designed to be able to fit in the upper left-hand corner of those. Documents. Yeah, I find them super helpful, and I want to thank you for that. I'm definitely a visual learner, and I find it to be very visual, so I appreciate that. And the disaggregated sort of data in terms of breaking it out of the narrative, so it's a nice sort of um, what do you teachers call it? The graphic organizer, right? So thank you for those graphic organizing skills. But I also guess it would be helpful, and you know, not obviously tonight, but moving forward. And I'm sort of building a database, a spreadsheet right now. Mr. Murphy, that is doing sort of the comparisons between the schools based on those based on these items, but also delineating, you know, that teacher um, category because it's big, right? Because it's like it, it would be good to know, like how many special ed teachers, how many gen ed teachers, how many EL teachers, how many reading professionals, right? So like how that breaks down. And I know that that's, again, a little bit more of a disaggregation of the data, but I just want to be able to compare apples to apples. Um, and so if we could do that, that would be super helpful. And I know that just even working on the spreadsheet as we're talking tonight has been really helpful for me again, as a visual learner to get a macro picture of the, of the district, which is what you're really, if I'm not mistaken, asking us to do because we've been so departmentalized. So how are we looking at this from a macro perspective? And I, and I just want to say, I really appreciate that tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Motion to adjourn. Motion to adjourn. Yeah. Member Vandekloot seconded by Member McLaughlin. Roll call, please. Um, member Graham. Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastome. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes. Mayor, uh, member Vandekloot. Yes. Mayor Longo-Karn. Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Uh, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you, everybody.